You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. Jeff Ford is the author of the Physiognomy Trilogy. He also wrote The Drowned Life and The Girl in the Glass. Thank you for speaking with me, Jeff. Oh, it's always good to talk to you, Rick. Jeff, we're at the World Fantasy Convention, and I think that this is kind of an important event because uh, fantasy literature has gained a whole new level of respectability in the recent years. Well, it has been. Uh, it has been gaining more respectability uh, in the literary world. Uh, you know, you have a lot of uh, major quote-unquote literary writers who are using fantastic themes, elements in their work. I mean, it's basically taken over Hollywood, uh, you know, everything that comes out. Some of it's not so great, but some of it's actually pre- been pretty good lately, you know. Uh, and uh, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful, uh, you know, art uh, uh, way of viewing uh, the world and a uh, wonderful, uh, um, you know, impetus for art. One of the things that strikes me about your work is the way you use elements of the fantastic in a variety to achieve a variety of styles. Um, I'm thinking of something that's subtle and beautiful and historical, like the girl in the glass, and then something that's kind of outrageous and wacky and eerily weird, like the drowned life. So talk about making using the same tool in your toolkit to achieve very different effects. Well, uh, you know, first of all, when I do that, and I try, and I do it quite a bit. Um, I like to change the style because I'm, I'm always trying to become a better writer, but to discover new things through writing. And so I try to change things up structurally, thematically, uh, as much as I can. It keeps me interested too, and, and uh, allows me to explore uh, you know, different modes and so forth. So that's why I do. But um, you know, if I break it down, there are certain approaches. I mean, you know, I, I do a lot of stuff. Uh, I did a lot of stuff for a long time that was autobiographical, uh, that had some elements of the fantastic in it, which worked pretty well. But then I realized I was, you know, I was doing it too much. I mean, it, it actually was was becoming mannered in a way. So then I had to break out of that. So then I just went for a full blown, you know, third person, uh, fantastic stuff. Uh, and then I would always do these creepy stories, these kind of dream-inspired stories, like uh, the night whiskey, where you know uh, people drink a certain uh, liqueur made from these death berries and fall asleep in the branches of trees, and you know. So I'd like to have that that uh, that strange kind of mix in a lot of the stuff. And if if you want to write and you want to write a lot, you have to have a lot of tricks in your bag, and you have to have a lot of approaches that you can use, so that when you get stuck on one thing. Uh, you can move into into the other. At the base, though, at the bottom of all of it, um, it, the same things still apply in all of them. It comes from me, comes from my, what, quote, unquote, I I can't think of a better word, but my subconscious, and it deals with the fantastic, and the fantastic is a way for you to describe things about the world that actually exists that you really can't put in realistic terms. They're just not the words for it. It's too difficult to describe. But the fantastic works like a beautiful metaphor to, to uh, you know, to get those things across uh, to other readers and to express to other people. Now, one thing I, I'd like to talk to you about, you have two, uh, your two most recent works are very different. The Shadow Year and, and The Drowned Life. They're both uh, 
visions of America that are very, very different. And, and one thing that strikes me is that, you know, this kind of literature does well in troubled times. Yes, it does. I, I, you know, uh, I, I was just, I think about this all the time. When I went to, when I was going to school, when, to, when I was going to college and writing, uh, you know, I went to Binghamton. I had Ga uh, John Gardner as a teacher. I mean, at that time, uh, fantasy was, uh, in, in literature, was not unusual. You had, you had uh, Coover, and you had Pynchon, and you had, uh, you know, Barth. Uh, all these guys were, do, were using the fantastic. It was business as usual. And that was around the 70s. And the 70s were about as bad, as almost as bad as today as far as the economy goes, you know. But now again, in this time period, it's flourishing again. I guess what it allows people to do is, uh, you know, in one way it's, it can be used as escape. That's not really my interest in it. But, it, you know, um, it, it deals with intangible ideas uh, a lot of times. And... You have to focus on the intangible in times when, when the uh, tangible and, the, and, you know, the commodities and the objects that you desire aren't there. I mean, this, that stuff can't satisfy you anymore, you know what I mean? So uh, I think that's why it's around. As far as, um, you know, it, it's a good tool to deal with politics, too, because you can draw people in who wouldn't necessarily agree with your point of view, like in the drowned life, uh, point of view on a political situation. But if you express it in a story and you show what the characters are going through, they can have empathy for the characters. And then somehow, you know, it's not like you're proselytizing, but somehow they can get a sense or a glimpse of what your point, you know, what your position is or what the idea is that, that you know, is coming across in the story. Well, it reminds me of what Rod Serling once said, that he could have uh, a Martian say something that a Democrat or a Republican That's could right. never say. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Although he'd, he'd be hard-pressed to find a Martian who would say that stuff now that, you know, <laughs> that any Democrat or Republican would say. So. <laughs> um, Tell us uh, about the drowned life because it's a kind of, I think, a savage uh, vivisection well, of the, current the, American uh, contemporary culture. When I wrote it, I really, it was at the tail end of the Bush years, I guess 2004 or something or 2005, I, I wrote it. And I was really at the point where I was fed up. I mean, just completely fed up with the state of the country, how much they'd screwed things up. I mean, totally the economy, Iraq, I mean, just one thing after the other. And I, I felt that a lot of people were living under, under this, this, this haze or this, you know, this, uh, they were drowned in this kind of fear that, that was, there was a lot of fear mongering by the government then with that, remember that uh, color coded thing for terrorists? What a ridiculous plan. And you had, what's his name just come out? Uh, you know, the guy, Ridge, who was the head of Homeland Security, you know, admitting something that we all already knew already, the fact that they were, you know, they had uh, asked him to like, uh, put on the red thing today, he went, you know, when they were trying to pass something through Congress to get people all scared about, you know, the terrorists and all that. So we, we were drowning in that stuff. And uh, it, was hard for, it was hard for uh, people to, you know, have relationships and to get through their day with that always in the back of their mind. I mean, I, th I really think it took a toll on, on people. And the minute, uh, the minute that Bush took office, I felt a complete lack of confidence, uh, you know, in the government and at the time. And the minute he left office, you know, when Obama came in, I felt relieved. And, you know, people were saying they gave him the Nobel Prize because he wasn't George Bush, you know. But I, for, that, for that very reason alone, I think he deserved the Nobel Prize, you know. So 
that was my feeling on that. But yeah, you felt like kind of you were uplifted. It wasn't this fear stuff. It was about what could happen, what's the promise, you know. And that not not all that's being delivered on, you know what I mean. But at least when I turn on the TV, I don't have to get that steady stream. So the drowned life is about a guy who goes under. He can't take it anymore. He's he's lost, you know. He's losing money. He can't make enough money to get by which is what happened. I mean, the deregulation of the mortgage, mortgage industry, largely by Bush, was what sunk this situation. I could go into this if you want me to, but mm-hmm. I, you know, <laughs> I know you, you're limited on time. But it's about a guy who goes under. He goes to this place, Drown Town, and then you know, he allows himself to go under, basically, because he can't keep up anymore. But then once he gets there, and he's underwater, and there are these people there floating around like decomposing zombies, the people that live there, he realizes he missed the things he misses are his kids and his wife, uh, you know, and facets of his life that had become uh, kind of obscured to him by all the stuff that was going on politically and the fear and all the stuff that was getting in the way, you know. And, and so um, I was just trying to express that idea. Now tell us about the contrasting styles between the shadow year and the drowned life, because they almost, you might think it's two different writers wrote yeah, the, the Yeah, the, the shadow year as a novelist, really the closest autobiogra- autobiographical that I've ever written, although there are, you know, fantastic things that happen, in, but it takes place in the suburbs in the 60s on Long Island, and uh, which was kind of an interesting time. And uh, so the shadow year is uh, autobiographical to a large extent. And it's a, it's a 60s novel, but not the kind of 60s novel, you know, with uh, pot-smoking hippies and so on, because that really hadn't reached us at our age level at that time. But it's from the point of view of kids, and uh, really about my family, the dysfunction of it, the neighborhood we lived in. I really wanted to capture that time. It was a, it, it's really a book about the imagination, less than a historical book, you know. But I just, as, you know, writing it, I discovered, I, I remembered so many things. It was... Uh, you know, it, it was pretty pretty amazing experience. And then there are dark aspects of it, kind of creepy, um, and a mystery involved and so forth. It, so, yeah, that, that's very autobiographical, and it was written, you know, in very short chapters and uh, very clearly, I think, you know, written uh, much less florid than a lot of the other stuff I'd done, like Mrs. Shaw Book. And The Drowned Life is a very surreal book. There are touchstones to today's world in it, but the majority of the of the story takes place in really kind of a fantasy land, you know, this underwater uh, time. And the writing, I think, is much more off kilter. I was trying to get things uh, to the to the level of the sentence structure where things were a little bit off in the way that the sentences would sound, sort of like Bill, you know, the sets for Dr. Caligari. I was trying to do that somewhat with with the sentences where the whole world just seems like off kilter and you know, weird to an extent. So yeah, they're, they're largely different. And I do, I do uh, quite a few stories like that, and I've come to enjoy it. And also it's in the third person, which I didn't do for a lot, a long time. I wrote primarily in the first person. The third person had always put me off because uh, it seemed like you were an expert, you know? Mm-hmm, uh, there was mm-hmm. something expert about it, which which always seemed ridiculous to me. It's like the, the Wizard of Oz or something, you know what I mean? This, you know, this uh, powerful figure, the third person. And I liked the first person because you wander kind of errantly through, that wor- through the world and uh, you don't know the backstory on everybody. You discover it as the, as the character discovers it. It's always seemed more exciting to me. but. For these ones where I'm doing these odd things, I like the third person for some reason because it's, it's ridiculous to me. These situations are rather absurd to an extent, 
And you can get more bang for your buck on the creepiness, I think, out of the third person. I don't know why. I'm just making this stuff up now. I can't. <laughs> Sorry. Well, it seems to me that, that uh, you're, you've turned the uh, literary device of the fantastic, applied it to grammar in The Drowned Life, which is a really interesting approach. Well, sentence structure is, uh, you know, and... Uh, there's people who do this really incredibly well. I mean, if you take a story by like Edgar Allan Poe, who was celebrating his 200th uh, year, you know, here this this weekend. If you take somebody like that, you look at the fall of the House of Usher. Just take the first paragraph. Underline every word in it that has to do with darkness, depression, dreariness. By the time you get to the end of that, not even the first paragraph, but the first part of the of the first paragraph, say the first half of it, you find like there are 32 instances. And here's what he does with this. This is the really keen uh, uh, trick in writing. I, I discovered this through him. It's if, if you overload the reader's sensibility with this word, these words in the beginning of the story when they're just getting into it, they don't notice it because they're learning the story as they go. But he inundates you with these things to the point where, and does it all throughout the story, to the point where you're no longer conscious of it. And it comes to have almost a physical effect on you uh, on your feelings as you're reading it. So when you read The House of Usher and you get in the middle of it, you feel like you're walking around with like lead boots on because the, he's constantly bombarding your subconscious with these words that you're not even noticing are there. That kind of stuff, I've been interested in that kind of stuff in writing uh, for, for some time now. Sentence structure that is just a little bit off. I wrote a series of stories where they just about you know, didn't make sense I mean, I, they weren't received too well, but, but I was trying to, to write stories that were, like, broken, you know, that, ha that were broken. Uh, like, um, Dalthari was a story about a bottled city, or uh, there's another one called The uh, Seventh Expression of the Robot General, which is v very uh, twisted and broken uh, down to the sentence structure, you know? And I was trying to get a, an effect with that. I don't know if it was successful, but, you know, some of the stories were successful and some weren't. So, but it, that kind of stuff interests me. It's not really an experiment. It's, it's just another means of expression, I think. It's like sculpting almost, you know. Now, talk about um, your, how you see, um, you, you said that the life during the Bush years resulted in the drowned life, that kind of skewed and underwater vision. And underwater, I mean, that's literally what well, happened. Well, that's it's what like they use. That that's a, that's <laughs> the like term they're using for the people who couldn't pay their mortgages, right? Wasn't yeah. it? That place is underwater if, they, if it goes out. You know, when that happened, I, uh, you know, I, I'd written The Drowned Life. This was quite a while before the mortgage thing hit. Mm -hmm. And so when it hit, uh, you know, they started using that term that, you know, they're underwater uh, and drowned. Some of them were using on the news and stuff. And I remember saying to my wife one day when she's getting ready for work and I'm in bed, I said, Am I, I'm like Edgar Casey, man. I saw, I saw this coming. She goes, yeah, yeah, shut up. You know? But, uh, yeah, I felt very prophetic about that, even though the scene was very pathetic, you know. What are you working on now, and how do you see, you know, uh, do you think that things have changed substantially enough so that your, your, maybe your grammar will get back more on kilter? Well, you know, um, I don't know if that's ever going <laughs> to even on a good day, I don't know if that's, that's going to happen. But uh, what do I see happening, and what am I working on? I can't say, you know, the scene is all that much more optimistic these mm -hmm. days that I see. It's just so much turmoil in the Middle East, you know, the problems with uh, the health care and the, you know, the economy. But um, it's positive, I think, moving in a positive direction. So 
I have more time to write things that I feel are uh, not focused on that and, and not affected by that. And so you, what you just said is actually true. I'm, I'm going back to a much more traditional style. I'm approaching, uh, for a while anyway, some more traditional themes in fantasy. Like I'm doing a reading today about a, a story I wrote that's really kind of like a, a sword and sorcery story, something I never write. I mean, usually my, my idea of the fantastic is not like classical fantasy or, you know, um, mainstream fantasy. But I thought I'd give it a try, and I like the form. I like the, a fuller story now, you know. I, th I feel like there's, I'm not so jangly with everything else in the world that I, I, have, I feel I can invest more in the story, fill them out more. And like you said, not so broken lines and so forth. And that's actually been going on in the last uh, few things that I've written. A more positive aspect in them, some of them anyway. <laughs> I've been speaking with Jeffrey Ford. His latest book is The Drowned Life. His latest novel is The Shadow Year. Thank you for speaking with me, Jeffrey. Oh, it's always great, Rick. Good to talk to you. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. <laughs>